I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to the Euro Trip, your Eurovision podcast, bringing you the very latest news and a big name guest from the contest's long and illustrious history. Last week, we brought you quite the interview with Andreas Mamantovas, the man behind LT United. And this week, we're heading further north and speaking to a man who represented his own country on home soil back in 2010. That's right. You'll find out who that is soon. This is the Eurotrip. Let the dance macabre begin. Warm welcome. I know the only one show in the world that combines it all. Singing, music, dancing, traditional and ethnic styles. It's massive. It's twice the Super Bowl. It's like 200 million people. When we reach the end of the show in approximately three to eight hours, we will have a new champion. Now let's get to it. Are you ready to party Europe? It is easy what I say. What I say. This is the Euro Trip. Hello and welcome to your favourite Eurovision podcast. We're the Euro Trip with me, Rob. Me, James. And this week, Didrik Solly Tangen. That's right, the man who represented Norway all the way back in 2010. Rob was still a small child back in those days. Maybe I wasn't even alive. But wonderful Didrik Solly Tangen took time out with us. Uh, earlier last week and it was fantastic to chat to him about all 
of the stuff that he did at Eurovision and the stuff he's been doing over the last 10 years. And Rob, I know what you're like. You can't even remember what you had for breakfast. But surely you can't forget what it's like to perform on the Eurovision stage in front of hundreds of millions of people. I, I don't... I don't think even I remember my performance. No, it was just like a, a big like black hole because I was really nervous. I remember I have been told so many things, you know, you have to do this and you have to do that and you have to do, you have to uh, sing this one like this and then you have to take your arm and do this and then, then you look into this camera. Absolutely, no, what a fantastic performance that was. Didn't get the result he deserved, but he'll talk about that more later on in the podcast as well, I'm sure. I don't think a man has ever worn a jacket as well as Didrik Solitangen has. He's a man who looks very sharp in a suit, jacket and blazer, isn't he? He's a very attractive man, Joe. We've had some good guests with some very sharp uh, fashion sense, haven't we? We've had Nicky French, Alex Panay, who had great jackets and... Uh... Diedrich joins the queue as well for that. Um, so plenty of him to come later on. We've also got the News in 90, your roundup of news. We've also got the One Second Song to come. Very excited for that. And another delve into another European country for the European quiz. So plenty of opportunities for you to join in with the podcast at home. But you are listening on Acast, on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. This is the Eurotrip. This is the Eurotrip. That's right. Hello and welcome, surprisingly, to episode 13 of the Eurotrip podcast. We first appeared in your uh, social media sites and on your streaming services in early August. Thank you very much to all of you who have been with us since then. And hello if you are a brand new listener. And James, there is one listener in particular that I want to talk to you about this week. I'm going to talk to you about Carlos from Spain. Are you interested? Uh, very interested, yeah. What you got on Carlos from Spain? Well, Carlos got in touch on Twitter at Eurotrip Podcast. He said, uh, why don't you talk about the United Kingdom jury, brackets, based in a windowless room at Wood Lane slash television centre. All the best from Spain, Carlos. Now, me and you have been talking before we started recording this as to why has Carlos got in touch and why does he want us to talk about the UK jury? And we think this might be to do with the conversation that we had around this time last week on the podcast about the UK and Eurovision. We fell down a rabbit hole last week, didn't we, talking about the national selections of the early 2000s for the UK at Eurovision. It was a, it was a funny old time for the UK and the BBC, wasn't it, the early noughties? But this article that, uh, that we found um, was called Confessions of a Eurovision Judge, a 14-year-old article, Rob, wasn't it? Hold on, you've said we found. You've done Carlos a disservice there. Carlos has found the article and sent us this article. You're trying to steal that as our own work. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, you are right. He sent us a, a, an article that says Confessions of a Eurovision Judge. And it is all about a man called Kevin, who was a juror for the UK in 1996. So if Kevin pops up on a future podcast, you've, uh, you've got Carlos to thank for that one. Kevin seems like a proper Eurotrip podcast guest, doesn't he? He fits, he fits the brand for us a little bit, doesn't he? Uh, speaking of typical people who you'd expect to find on the Eurotrip, it is now time to introduce this week's guest to bring you the news in 90. And it's another debutante, Rob, isn't it? It absolutely is. We are delighted to have the fantastic Alistair Brown from Eurovoir joining us this week. Alistair, are you up to the challenge, do you think? I am up to the challenge. I didn't realise I was on episode 13, so hopefully... I'm not, I'm not your bad luck. Well, that's what I'm hoping for, you and me both, sir. But <laughs> I think this week, it is safe to say, 
and I'm sure you'll agree, Alistair, there is plenty to talk about this week. Just before we get into the news in 90, you'll agree you're not short of stories this week. I'm not short of stories, no. I've, uh, I've ordered them, so hopefully we get the good ones in first. Okay, well, James, you're in charge of timekeeping duties this week. Uh, can you confirm in a Jean Olosan style that uh, we're ready to go? Uh, uh, y- y- yeah, yeah, I think we're ready. It's not quite as good as Sateri, is it? But we'll take it. <laughs> you did put me on the spot with that one. I've not quite perfected my Jean Olosan <laughs> impression just yet. Anyway, Alistair, if you're ready, your time starts in three, two, one. Okay, so the big news fresh fresh from this morning is that 41 countries will be participating in Rotterdam 2021. This list appears exactly the same as last year as all countries that were expected to participate for 2020 before cancellation will appear and there's no debuts or returns. In the build-up to Rotterdam, this week in Scandinavia, it's been revealed that Iceland have cancelled their selection show this year in favour of sending their 2020 artist, Davi of Galvnavdurt, internally to, to the contest. And over in Finland, their selection show will be going ahead and their finalists for UMK in 2021 will be revealed on the 19th of January. Victoria from Bulgaria will also be getting another chance next year and it's confirmed that her song will be revealed in early March of next year. We are very close to the 2020 Junior Eurovision Song Contest and across Europe the performances are already being recorded both in the host city of Warsaw as well as other countries who have recorded their performance at home including Spain and Kazakhstan this week. Spain have also confirmed that the contest next month will be broadcast in cinemas across the country. Of the 13 countries competing we are now left with just Armenia and Georgia to reveal their entries with Georgia's selection still ongoing on episode 7. Over in Eurovision Choir, Belgium have, who are hosting the World Choir Games next year have confirmed for the first time that Eurovision Choir will not be aligned with the World Choir Games and they indeed will not be hosting Eurovision Choir. The contest which was last won by Denmark last year will have its next host and country that revealed. that is your time uh, up, Alistair. I had one sentence left. <laughs> <laughs> very, very close. Very good as well. You managed to pack in loads and loads <laughs> of stuff in there, didn't you, Rob? Go on, be nice to him. Alistair, let's have your final sentence. Um, so the contest which was last won by Denmark last year, that's Eurovision Choir, will have its next host country revealed at a later stage. And so far, only Wales are a confirmed participant. So quite a small competition at this point. Quite a small one. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. And I feel like just to be fair to you, Alistair, would you like another chance at telling us exactly who is representing Iceland at Eurovision 2021? I really would not, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've got to applaud your bravery for going for it in the first place. I would just go for with uh, Daddy Freya and then be done with it. But you've gone, yeah. for, you've gone for the whole hog there. There is only one story we're going to talk about uh, in a lot more detail here, isn't there? We don't really need to introduce it, do we? There's 41 countries taking part next year. Absolutely. So that is the news we got earlier on this week. And I, like both of you, I imagine, Alistair, you can take this one, but you've got to be delighted that all the countries that were due to compete at 2020 are back for 2021. Well, given the circumstances, I mean, I'm, I'm genuinely surprised. I'm obviously equally as happy. I thought we might lose a few, but um, yeah, it's great. Are you surprised? You've, you've said there, are you surprised that they're all back? Because... There are a number of countries that we weren't sure about. In recent weeks, we found out that they were going to be taking part, but the UK hadn't confirmed anything before today, and they're on the list. And, yeah. and then also Belarus as well. And 
you know, the less said about what's going on in Belarus, the better. But surprising to see them on the list, potentially. I think the one to look at is actually the United Kingdom, isn't it, in a bit more detail? Because this happens every year with the BBC, doesn't it? <laughs> we've, we've been here year after year after year, where once May has been done and dusted with, they seem to just fall off the face of the earth and we just don't hear anything from them, do we? It's almost as if they forget the social media passwords in the um, after May. <laughs> It really is. Now, I did quite possibly the dullest piece of research I've ever done, and this tells you how busy I was at actual work today, uh, to find out when it was that the UK normally announced what they're doing for Eurovision. And on average, it happens between the 26th and 28th of September. So we're a little bit late this year. Yeah, you're right, Rob. Most importantly, you clearly do not have enough to do in your day-to-day work life. Uh, but you're right, we are, we are overdue an announcement from the UK. What are we expecting? Are we going to get another internal selection with BMG again? Or are they going to surprise us and spring another early 2000s style selection process on us? I think we're probably going to sit with BMG. I think there was a three-year contract that the BBC had with BMG. Obviously, that wasn't with a pandemic in mind. So hopefully they're still interested. So we will wait to see what happens with the UK at Eurovision 2021. But as we said, delighted that all 41 countries are back next year. But now on to far more important matters. Alistair, it's the one second song and it's my turn to pick it this week. How do you normally get on with these? To be fair, I've, I think I've got like the last three, right? At least three or four points. So hopefully, hopefully now I'm actually on air. They will let, my luck will stay. Okay, talking a big game, talking a big game. So uh, to remind everyone, the four points on offer are if you can get the correct country, year, song title and artist. And now, Alistair, for you and for the people at home, for the first time, here's this week's One Second Song. So Alistair, you've heard it for the first time. What do we think? (laughs) This is so typical. I haven't got a clue. (laughs) It's always the way, isn't it? It's so easy when you're the one listening at home and you're not the one on the podcast. Is there any any element of that that you could even guess, maybe? Not until I play it again. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Well, we'll leave leave you with that. Um, And Alistair, I'll get you to, to drop me a message and then we'll find out later on in the podcast how you got on. But for this week, thank you very much for joining us for the News in 90. Excellent job. And just remind us where people can find the stuff from Eurovoir. Uh, so you can find that on our website, eurovoir.com. And we're also on the social medias on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. This is the Eurotrip. When you aren't listening, you can find us on social media. We're at Eurotrip Podcast. Warming you up for the Eurovision Song Contest. Hello, my name is Didrik Subitanian and you're listening to Eurotrip. So that's right, you are listening to the Eurotrip. You've just heard Alistair's guest there for the one second song. I haven't heard it, I haven't heard his guests. I will hear the clip later on in the show. But it is now time for the first part of the interview with this week's big guest. And this week we are joined by Diedrik Solitangen, the Norwegian entry way back in 2010. 10 years ago, Rob, can you believe it's 10 years since the 2010 contest already? It's amazing, isn't it? The 2010 contest is one of my favourites for a number of reasons. I think I mentioned this on uh, a podcast a while back. Either that or it was just to you, not on the podcast. That Norway and NRK, to afford to host Eurovision in 2010, had to sell their Football World Cup rights for the World Cup that year because otherwise they wouldn't have been able to afford it, which I absolutely love as a thing. But also, we're talking about Diedrich, of course, what a difficult 
act to follow for him because how can you be the man that follows Alexander Ryback and Fairy Tale? What a difficult job. It's, it's such a difficult job. And he mentions Alexander Reback as well at the beginning of this interview. He, he was good friends with him before Alexander did Eurovision in 2009 and went on to that magnificent victory, of course. And we chat loads to Diedrich in this week's podcast about all sorts of things. Uh, but I started off by asking him what his opinion is and the general view of Eurovision is like in his home country of Norway. It's been this competition who has been in and out of the media like it has been big you know when we have had the wins when when bobby Sox was in and you know then you know it had a lot of media attention and and it was a big thing but in like the years before i participated myself i was like a classical singer i was uh, going to uh, this classical school and i met alexander Rybak. And when he told me that he was going to particip- participate in uh, in um, in Eurovision, I was like, "Is this is is that the right way to go?" I was like, I was a little bit skeptic, and you know, I think it, I, thought, I thought it was uh, a little bit weird to do with the with the background. You know, it was uh, kind of uh, weird. And then and then I I, I got uh, a, a kind of new look into the Eurovision because you have to take all of it or nothing because if you just look at it with a glance then you don't understand so when i understood like the the competition and all the all the unique uh, or should i say colors that it represents you know it that that was when i was like the first understood that wow this is a great thing you mentioned earlier on, you said even in 2009 when Alexander Reback went, you thought you were a bit sceptical about it. But then yeah, do, you think, do you think he sort of changed the perception quite a bit? Because the following year, of course, you entered Melody Grand Prix. And I think the amount of submissions from 2009 to 2010 doubled comp- yeah. you know, year on year. Do you think he had a big impact on the perception of Eurovision in the country? Of course. And I think that also... Uh, also Bobby Sox did and also Secret Garden because I, as I said you know the Eurovision has kind of when when people understand how big it is and how like how great it can be for an artist or for a group uh, to to be there and to win or yeah and just just be a part of it you know I think then then what then it was a lot of people who who understood um, what it meant to Alexander and then you know like hey we we have to try this as well you know so but he had a great impact you know and he did a lot of uh, good things for Eurovision and not only in Norway but but uh, in the whole Europe. Uh, So then in 2010 obviously 2010 rolled around and then you entered Melody Grand Prix what would what do you think the reason was that you ended and just how much fun was entering that contest i think uh first of all when i was in the norwegian final um i was just a boy uh having fun you know doing what he loved to do you know i've got the a, a perfect song i was like i was so like yeah it was everything was right um, and then I won the Norwegian final. I was like, "Wow, this is uh, this is amazing!" Um, and then all of this 
kind of all this pressure went on me because you know uh, we were um, we were hosting Eurovision this year. Um, all eyes were on me. You know, it was a lot of media attention on me. Like everyone wanted to know uh, yeah, everything, and I, for me, it was a bit overwhelming, I guess, because I have I came from nothing. You know, I, I was just. I was just going to school. I had concert for for uh, for fifty, sixty people. You know, it, it was and and nobody cares afterwards. You know, yeah, he's a great singer. Everything. You know, nobody cares afterwards. And I had, of course, I had some local uh, interviews from the local paper. But now, it felt like um, everything I said and everything that I did was. Um, they the media could shape it in the way that I wanted. So I could say one thing, and then in the paper the next morning, I could say a, a whole different thing. And I was like, I, I was a bit, uh, I was uh, getting a bit scared of like everything. So the pressure that um, the pressure that came on came on me and or, or went on my shoulders when when we went from the national competition to the Eurovision. It was immense. Like it was really really heavy and. I don't think that I got to enjoy the competition as much as I would today if I would if I was going to uh, enter today as I would that time because I I don't I don't think even I remember my performance you know it was just like a a big like black hole because I was really nervous and. I remember I have been told so many things, you know, you have to do this and you have to do that and you have to do, you have to uh, sing this one like this and then you have to take your arm and do this and then then you look into this camera. And then, so I don't think it was so much left of the, the joy and the, the fun that I had in the Norwegian final. And when I've watched the videos from the Norwegian final, and the the Eurovision, I see like a big difference. It was a very big step to take from from going from nothing and then enter such a big competition because you know Norway had a lot of also a lot of attention because of the last year's winner. So um, it was it was a, a lot of fun, but also it was a bit tough. Is there much of it that you can remember? Is there much that you managed to actually enjoy there as a performer? Because you were still quite young then when you went to Eurovision. I can I can remember, uh, you know, the the wardrobes. I can remember everything, you know, that we had the teams and the difference. Uh, I I I made a cake to Lena who won that year. I remember she had a birthday, so I I made her a cake, and uh, I made like this chocolate box. That I gave to all the participants. I, I did. I did a lot of stuff that I, I remember, and I, I I have a good memory from all of it. Just just the just the performance that is like, like a little. I don't take a blank spot. Yeah, it's like a blank spot. It's really weird. Diedrich there mentioning that he baked a cake for Lena, which I absolutely adore. Do we think there are any other good Eurovision bakers out there? I know a lot of the, the listeners of this podcast will also be fans of, of the Great British Bake Off, for example. Who do you want to see in the tent, James? Oh, that's a good question. I was going to ask you a question about who else would sort of fill those roles. You know, if, if Diedrich's going to bake a cake for Lena's birthday, then who's going Which to... Which Oz be... and Nikki presumably will be furious about, because <laughs> that's them out. 
But then what would a Eurovision-based secret Santa be like? Could you imagine oh, that? Who would, you, who would you want to, to be secret Santa for? What? So who's going to get you the best gifts? Yeah. Who do you think would buy you the best gift? Any Eurovision artist ever, who's it going to be? I think John Lundvik's a giver. He always looks like a nice fella. So I think he'd get you something quite nice. Verka would get you something glittery, if that was what you were into, mm. I think. Yeah. Helena Paparazzo, who we talked about and, and got a mention on last week's podcast, I reckon she'd get you a lovely bottle of perfume. Well, there you go. If any of these artists are up for doing a, a Secret Santa with us here on the Eurotop podcast, we're well up for it. I mean, I don't know if we're going to give out the same sort of gifts, bearing in mind the Christmas present you got me last year, Rob. Uh, was absolutely nothing. My love? Is that not enough? Not anymore. It's 2020, Rob. You need to up your game. Okay, well, who knows? I've still got plenty of time to uh, to plan it. We've got a couple of months, so just you wait. A man might come a-knocking, and then you'll find out what's in your stocking, which is a little rhyme I've just come up with. <laughs> was that on the spot? <laughs> you know it was! <laughs> oh, dear me. We should move on. I don't want to give him any more praise than he deserves. He's going to gloat about this for, for, for ever and eternity. Um, if it- you're lucky, uh, next week on the podcast, I will uh, take on a, a Denmark 2001, um, where the hosts did the whole thing in rhyming couplets. Do you want me to oh. do the whole show in rhyming couplets next week? Oh, wow. That is... That is an invitation I cannot turn down, Rob. You've said it out loud now. It's got to happen. And without being able to think of another word to rhyme with happen, I think it's safe to say it probably won't be. (laughs) Anyway, uh, it's about time for us to to move on from this conversation and head over to the European quiz. Last week, we did a bit of a junior Eurovision special and we were quizzed on Kazakhstan. And I'll just remind you, Rob, that I won. I'm not going to let you interject here and say anything, anything else, but I won. So we'll apart see what happens. Apart from you didn't. But anyway, Wait, carry on. Rob, go away. Um, but it is time to find out which country. one all. Sam, which country is it? It's Wednesday the 28th of October in the Czech Republic. That means it's Independence Day. Here are three questions about Czechia. Well, happy Independence Day to the people of Czechia. And I'm sure they're all standing around in Prague dancing about to presumably their favourite Eurovision entry, a Spain song from a few years back, uh, Bilal El Chekia Chekia. <laughs> when we were rehearsing that joke, it sounded as bad before we did it for you there on the podcast. So oh, enjoy that, everybody. I'm sure they will, Rob. In the meantime, though, let's head back to Sam to find out the first of this week's three questions on Chekia. Okay, so Marta and Vaclav represented the Czech Republic on their return to the contest in 2015. They'd previously met in a stage play together. What was the play? And for a bonus point, what parts did they play? So then, there's the first question. Although, I need to backtrack actually because I haven't asked you the question that I ask you every week. Rob, have you been to the Czech Republic? So no, I haven't been to the Czech Republic. However, I did see Marta and Vaclav on stage in 2015 in Vienna. However, that is a lie because I happen to have chosen their song to go for a wee. At least we all now know the relative strength five years ago of Rob's bladder. And I'm sure you all tuned in for that. In my defence, the toilets in the Vienna Stadthall were quite far away. So you had to be very tactical about when you went for a wee. Well, that's not going to help us with the answer here, is it? These two met in a stage play but what was the stage play, Rob? I'm going to say 
and this is a complete guess, as none of you will be surprised to hear, I'm going to say that they were in the stage adaptation of The Sound of Music, and I think they played Maria von Trapp. That wasn't that clever, obviously. That would have been Marta. Uh, and and the other fella. What was what was Mr. Von Trapp's name? <laughs> I think you're asking the wrong person, but if that's your answer, we'll go with it. Now, stage plays... This is not my area of expertise. I mean, I could have not said this. Not a cultured this. man such as you. Not a, not even me. So I may need, if you're willing, I may need some assistance on producing the name of the play that I'm thinking of. How do you, how do you feel about that? Are you gonna, are you gonna be generous enough to help? I know the play. Or I, I know think what so. I'm... This sounds, this sounds like it could be fun. Go on. So I think they met in a stage version of the story where there's a girl and a four-legged animal and maybe a robot <laughs> and maybe another character. I have literally no idea what <laughs> you're talking about, sir. So the travel somewhere because they all desire something. Are you talking about the Wizard of Oz? Yes, I am <laughs> talking about the Wizard of Oz. Thank you. I'm going to say the, the met in a stage adaptation of the Wizard of Oz and and um have you got any oh. characters? Do you want me to yeah. give you some characters? No, I guess one of them was the wizard. <laughs> right? And one of them was the Sheriff of Oz. <laughs> <laughs> well, unlikely. Let's find out. The answer is Hamlet. Vaclav played Hamlet and Marta played Gertrude, his mother, something that she wasn't happy about. Well, as a man that was born in the town famous for William Shakespeare, what a very disappointing turn of events. And once again, we kick off with zero points each. But do you think, James, you could have described Hamlet in a Wizard of Oz style? Do you know what went on in Hamlet? Oh, I must say, I've got no idea what happened in Hamlet, to be honest with you, mate. And as well, when you said for a man born in the town where William Shakespeare was born, I'm very glad you went on to say it with you, because for a moment I doubted myself thinking, William Shakespeare's not a Geordie, is he? Prague Zoo is home to over 5,000 animals, belonging to over 670 different species. They consume a lot every day. 17.8 kilograms of bananas, 220 kilograms of carrots, but they also eat animals such as worms, grasshoppers, crickets. What is the most consumed animal and how many do they eat every day? I think it is safe to say that this is the most ridiculous question we've had. In the past, we have had, what did they turn a big railway station in Azerbaijan into? We've had, what did Zlata Ognievich do with herself after Eurovision? But today, we find ourselves asking, which animal is consumed the most at Prague Zoo? <laughs> You're not getting this on any other podcast, are you? I think this has got to be the most rushed set of questions he's probably written. Um, I've got an idea of an answer, actually. Um, go on, then. You can go first. I imagine there's a lot of sea life at Prague Zoo. And I imagine a lot of sea life require a lot of other sea life to eat. So I'm going to say that the most consumed animal at Prague Zoo is fish. A very educated guess. I think that's a very good one. It makes up for my previous answer, at least anyway, doesn't it? 
Well, at least I didn't have you didn't describe an animal to me that I then had to work <laughs> out on that basis. Yeah, you're right. Uh, on on a similar line to you, I'm going to say that there are a lot of, for some reason, reptiles at Prague Zoo, and therefore they nibble on a lot of mice. Rob, you might want to turn away for this one. The answer is mice. And the zoo gets through 430 mice a day just to feed the animals. Sam says I may want to turn away, but I am turning and looking you straight in the eye, sir, because that is a one-point lead for me. Although I think now is now is a time that we all should probably take a moment just to think about Mr. Mouse, who was a regular feature on the podcast but a few weeks ago and, and now is no more. So just a moment here for Mr. Mouse. Hey, anyway, I've got one point lead. Question number three. Here it is. What is the main ingredient in the Czech dish, Tatarak? Well, I like to think of myself, James, as a, as a man of, of uh, world foods. A man of many I'm, meals is how I A man I of many that. meals. Mm. I, I just earlier on off air told you that I'm having a burrito bowl for my <laughs> dinner. Now, I am going to say that a Tatarak, which actually sounds like a galaxy in some sort of Avengers film, I think the main ingredient is, off the top of my head, horseradish. Okay. I've not got a lot to say on this one. My guess is chickpeas. The Czechs like to play with fire on this one, or rather no fire at all, because this is raw mince, flavoured with garlic and topped with a raw egg yolk, shaped like a volcano. Oh dear me, Rob, I know you are the man of many meals, but would you eat raw mince? Would you eat this tatarak? No, I enjoy a, a, an almost raw meat on a regular basis. If you were to ask me how do I have my steak, I would say pretty rare, James, but I would not say raw. It's not for me, James. It's not for me. But uh, I'll tell you what is for me. The win on this week's European quiz. And oh. fairly and squarely this week as well. It's not like your steal of a win last week. It's, it's a fair and square. Another point on the board for me. Read it in weeks, sunshine. Anything else you want to talk about? It's always just the win-win-win at the moment, isn't it? Well, if you come back and try and win, maybe I wouldn't be able to talk about winning so much. Not my fault. You're a loser. I don't know why that I've suddenly become a nine-year-old in the playground and I'm bullying you for some <laughs> lunch money, but that's apparently the role that I'm taking for the rest of the podcast. Before we get back to the podcast, let me just tell you about this week's sponsor. If you're looking for support with your profile on social media, look no further than Emily's Social Media Services. Whether you need somebody to manage your Twitter account, or perhaps you want to reach more people on Instagram, or even want a brand new logo designed to stand out from the crowd, Emily's Social Media Services will be right for you. Emily is qualified in social media management and has been working in the digital marketing industry for the past three years. We've worked with Emily recently and she has really helped us with our presence online. So if you need support with your profiles online, search for Emily's Social Media Services on Facebook and Instagram. Now let's get back to the show. So it is now time for the second part of this week's big interview. We heard a little bit from Didi Solitangen earlier on in the show. Plenty of great stories there, but plenty more great stories to come from the man who represented Norway 10 years ago. Yeah, now when we had part one of the interview earlier on in this episode, I forgot to mention the special part this song played in my life in 2010. You have a story for everything, don't you, Rob? You've always got a story. I could mention anything. I could mention fixing my radiator and you would have a Eurovision-related story. 
Funny you should mention that, James, because not Eurovision related, but I did almost have my big toe amputated because a portable radiator <laughs> fell on it at the age of three. You wouldn't believe that that wasn't even planned. Rob literally just plucked a radiator story out of thin air. But anyway, I feel like you've got a story about Dedrick Solitangen. Out of hot air, the radiator. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah. All of this is just putting off the story that I have about this song and the big part it played in my life in 2010. It actually, James, secured me a girlfriend. No, it didn't. Yes, it did. Can I guess? You can. Did you write My Heart Is Yours in a secret Valentine's card? You're almost correct. I think (laughs) if this were the European quiz, I would give you half a point. (laughs) Uh, What happened was, I'll take you back. I was at school, but I was uh, in sixth form. So one of the oldest years in the school. And uh, there was a girl called Naomi at the school at the time. Now, uh, I quite liked Naomi. It was, we'd had a, a dalliance at a, uh, at a birthday party in a village hall just the week before. And I thought, well, it's coming up to Valentine's. What shall I do? So I bought her a, and this is peak romance, a tub of roses <laughs> and a card. And it was around about the time that uh, Diedrich had won Melody Grand Prix. I believe, with this song. So therefore, I I might have got my years wrong, I think. This was 2011, I think, actually. This is 2011. It all makes sense now. And what had happened was I had written the lyrics to this song in the card, but passed them off as my own thoroughly thought-through romantic passage. And it won. It obviously did the job. And... Uh, my girlfriend she was all for about three months but anyway rob how about you try right now to woo over some of the listeners with another passage of my heart is yours cue the music because my heart is yours you'll never leave me when we are far apart you're by my side. You in pain? Or is that you trying to remember the words? Me trying to remember the lyrics. I'm going to get them up. Hold on. Sorry, listeners. Please hold. Because my heart is yours, I'll never leave you. Though we are far apart, which we weren't because we went to the same school, so that doesn't make sense. I'm by your side. My love is never gone. I feel it rise again. Through it all, now my heart is yours. Wow. I feel my heart pulsating at just the sound of those words, Rob. As long as it's only the heart, that is absolutely <laughs> fine. Should we get on to part two? Yeah, so well, we've got to get to Dirich Solitangen now. Uh, loads more stories from to come in this part. He talks about returning to the national final in 2020. Uh, but I started off by asking him what the support was like from the rest of his backing singers in 2010 and the rest of his delegation. Of course you have... You have a uh, you have a big group um, that uh, supports you and are there for you when when you uh, when you need someone and you need something. But in the end, when you, when you are there, at least I felt it that way. Uh, I was there. I, I was I was alone, you know. And and it was me and the others because. I, you know, this year I, I was in the Norwegian finals with, with my brother and 
and then you know we had a whole different of course i'm i'm older uh, that plays a part but i have a whole a other confidence and, and calmness you know in the whole thing because when you are two you have like a more uh just you, you can talk to each other and then you're never alone you know what i mean like if you go to a place where there are other people who know other people and then like you don't know anyone and then you just stand there and okay what am i supposed to do then you always have someone you know so so um so uh, i i uh, of course I, I don't have a bad memory of that i was so much alone when i was in eurovision because it always happened something you know something always happened so but uh, i i guess that being alone as an artist and don't i don't I, do, i didn't have any like management or stuff like that so i was i was like alone if you know what i mean oh, do you get that now At the end of the night in 2010, you finished in 20th place overall. Was that a good result for you? Were you quite happy with the the result you got in the end? No, 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 not at all. Uh, I, I was I was really hoping to like do it like really good because I I knew we had a good we had a great great song and I guess that if if I had done um. I think if I've done this, the same thing that I did in the region finals with the violin girls and everything that we did and the and the white jacket, I think just with that we have we had done a lot better because I felt that the Eurovision number was a bit anonymous. Because my heart is You know what I mean? It was just so dark, and and it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't the happy, the happy thing that I wanted it to be in the first place. So, but but I think the plan from from NRK and the Norwegian uh, um, like group, it wanted to be like ex exclusive and uh, something uh, like special, and uh, you know. But I think I think when I think back on it now, I think just everybody overthought everything. How long did it take you to sort of not be happy necessarily? But did did that result sort of play on your mind for quite a long time after the event? Yeah, of course it did, and I think that it taken me also not just only the the competition, but I've always been after the the school. I went to the the classical school and everything like that. I've always been obsessed with the the thought of doing what i think that other would like if you know what i mean and not what i feel uh, so I, and i think that over the years i've been more especially the last last three years maybe after i got a child and and, and now two children i am um, i've gotten a more confidence in just what i do and what i am and then i think that I think that that's that's maybe the most important thing that you can have as an artist is, is just to to have confidence in what you do and that what you do is good. We then reached twenty uh, twenty and the national final again, and you returned this time. But this time you returned with your brother. That sounds quite exciting to do it with uh, your brother and not just by yourself. 
Yeah, and this was this was uh, like a, a plan that we had because we both of us had like uh, this wish to to do Eurovision again, and um, then we just figured like why not together? Because I, as I told earlier, you know the the the, the part about being being alone in the competition is is no is no uh, fun. Um, so so then we just decided to go together, and and it was kind of a it was kind of rushed because I don't think we had the song ready bef uh, before November. So it was really late. The thing was that uh, they, they, uh, they uh, tested out a new voting system this year. Mm. Um, and um, they've got like indications that it was a lot of heat in the, in the, in the like um, servers when the, the the semifinals was going on and then they like they had they had this uh, up, upgrade um for the norwegian final but i don't think that they have like upgraded enough <laughs> so i think it was after you know you had a really performance and then it was us and then i think it was in the middle of our two performances that the whole system crashed and then uh, when we were going to up to the stage to like get to know who was the four uh, four finalists for the golden final then we were just standing behind there and waiting for a long time and then we got the message that uh, we had the trouble with the the voting and uh, we had to do the the b the plan b <laughs> And that was um, a jury of uh, 30 people, I think, who had just listened to the recording uh, and then decided who wanted to go to the golden final. There's a question we always like to ask people uh, on the podcast. Um, put you on the spot a little bit, but you can have a little bit of thinking time. Um, is A lot of people tend to ask the question, what is your favorite Eurovision song of all time? But we like to mix it up a little bit and say, not what's your favorite song of all time, but what's your second favorite, your number two song from the Eurovision Song Contest? Hmm. I guess because I have like, I have like a, a good memory from the year that I was participating myself. Uh, so this, the second uh, best song from Eurovision for me is the Soundtrack Project with the Runaway. So big thanks to Didik Solitang in there for giving some of his time to us a little earlier on. Some fantastic stories as well. And actually, it was quite disappointing. I don't know if disappointing is the right word, but quite sad to hear about his recollection of 2010 because it just seems like he doesn't have the fondest of memories of the contest. I always think this, and I always feel for whoever it is who is representing the host country that year. Because as you will see when you look at leaderboards, the host nation never tend to do very well when it comes to their own Eurovisions going back through history. And I think that is a lot to do with it. I think it is just the pressure that those artists and contestants are under. It's so difficult when the whole spotlight really is on them. He had a big act to follow as well. We mentioned it earlier on in the podcast and Diedrich mentioned it as well. Alexander Reback was the 2009 representative and of course winner. So Norway had gone through this really high patch and they had a lot of expectation on Diedrich and he didn't quite pull off the performance I guess they were expecting. 
Yeah, it needs to be remembered as well that he did get a really unlucky draw in the grand final. As we know what happens, the, the host nation, of course, they're direct to the final. They get to draw their place. And he ended up third on the night, which is, is difficult for anybody, isn't it? It is difficult. But for him, let's not forget, he wiped the floor with the competition in his national final that year. And of course, one of the other artists that took part in the national final in Norway in 2010 was, of course, the, the international pop group A1. So to beat a pop group such as A1 with a massive fan base, it must have been a really positive moment for him. I think so. It was all down to the white jacket, as he alluded to in the, in the interview himself there. That's all he needed. He could have won Eurovision in 2010 had it just been for the white jacket. There you go. If you want to win Eurovision, if you're a budding artist out there, bring the white jacket. I unfortunately am jacketless for this. That does make me sound slightly naked from the waist up, but I assure you I am wearing a t-shirt. Thanks. <laughs> I think you'd, you'd hear the panic in James's voice, <laughs> were I not. But you may hear the panic in James's voice right about now, because it is the end of the show. And as ever, we end with the one second song. As I said to Alistair earlier on, in the news in 9C. There are four points on offer, but you know that by now. There is a point for the country, a point for the year, a point for the song title, and a point for the artist. Now, James, you've had a couple of easy ones recently, especially the song that Nathan gave you two weeks ago. It was his responsibility. There are no rules for the one second song. The person choosing the song chooses a song that they want to choose. And if he wanted to choose what you describe as an easy song, then that's on him. That's not on me. I was the one who got it right. Now, when I went about choosing this week's one second song, I was actually kicking myself that I had not picked this song earlier on in these podcasts for the one second song. So we've talked about it enough. Here it is. For the first time for you, for the second time for the listeners at home, here is this week's one second song. Blimey. So we've gone difficult this week. It's been a month since you chose a one second song and you've chosen something that just sounds to be a stringed instrument. Oh, well, of course, in the Eurovisions of many a previous year, there have been many a difficult song and this is just... A... So Terry, what, what, what are you doing? What's, what's he popped up for? Now then... Is Sateri a clue to the fact that it's Ireland? Or is Sateri just here because you've forgotten to bring Sateri in for the previous 40 minutes or so of the podcast? Hoody ho, I do not know what you're talking about there. And if I were you, I wouldn't pay any attention to the old clue that I, Sateri, are in any way inextricably linked <laughs> to this week's one second song. While you're here, Terry, can you just reintroduce the, the clip again, just so we can hear you say one second song? That's right, of course I can. And I think you should give me a little more credit there, as a Terry, for using the word inextricably. <laughs> but in fact, it is the one second song. And here it is for the second time. Rob, I think I know what it is. I don't think that's true. No, really, I think I know what it is. So I'm going to go for Norway 2004. James, you're very confident with that. Um, considering when we first played it, you had absolutely no idea. And now you've just thrown an answer at me straight away. How come? It's the new mantra, Rob. It's my new mantra. I call it kick. What does kick stand for? It stands for confidence is key. Kick with a C. Didn't see that coming. Yeah, kick with a C. Plainly the curveball. So I've gone for Norway 2004. 
And you know, as well as I do, what the song was for Norway in 2004. I, I don't think I need to say it. I don't think you do either, but I think it would be nice just for the listeners if you could remind them. But you don't think the listeners know what it is? I think, I think the listeners must know what Norway 2004 is. It's iconic. But I, but I don't. It was iconic. You're right. But I don't. I don't think it, it can be reiterated enough because it, it, it was unbelievable that they, in fact, represented them that year, wasn't it? Oh, it was. It was crazy. It was crazy, Rob. It, it sounds like you're really desperate for me to tell you who it was. Yeah, less of this nonsense. Uh, do you want me to tell you that you've got zero points? Ah. Is that what you want? Yeah, go on then. Is it zero? It is zero. Yeah. Oh. I mean, you were only going for the two. You were going for the country. You were going for the year. So you went Norway. You went 2004. You're in the right decade, if that mm. helps. That does help. Uh, that's, a, that's a half a point. It's, it's not. That's a new <laughs> point system that we've not introduced this week. Uh, so, for this week's One Second Stop, we are going to a song which was the favourite to win the year it took part. We are going to 2007. Switzerland represented, and you mentioned the Norway song from 2004 was iconic, but this definitely was. So 2007, Switzerland, DJ Bobo and Vampires are alive. So James, now you have heard the legend that is DJ Bobo, or Bobo. We're not quite sure how we're pronouncing his name. I should take your mantra and just say it confidently and then we'll go with it. Uh, with Vampires Are Alive. Uh, what do you make of the song? It sounds like two songs in one, doesn't it? I honestly believe that is the first time I've actually heard the song. It sounds like a cinematic score in the first 10 or so seconds. And then the chorus hits. And it sounds like I've been transported to a different planet. It's quite, um, yeah, quite the song, isn't it? it? It needs to be said and reiterated that, as I mentioned earlier on, this song was the favourite to win the competition in 2007. And it didn't make it out the semi-final, James. It finished 20th in the semi-final in 2007. But DJ Bobo, he's huge. He sold over 14 million records worldwide. Like, he is a massive deal. Went to Eurovision and, uh, well, the continent said, see you later, mate. Not for the grand final this year. Hey, we've seen DJs do this in the past, though, haven't we? Remember Darude 2019? Absolute worldwide megastar. Turns up with Sebastian Ryman and, yeah, the less said about that, the better. He didn't leave Eurovision empty-handed, though, because somewhere from the London Eurovision party on Darude's phone, there was a very blurry selfie with me. On his phone? On his phone. That was the problem, James, because confusingly, he took it on his phone, which <laughs> meant I've never seen the photo. Oh, I don't wow. think he quite understood what I was after. There you go. Maybe he looks at that often. How often do you think Darude looks at a picture of you? I think it could be his background. I think you're being optimistic. <laughs> Oh, anyway, it's safe to say I scored zero points there. Alistair scored how many points, Rob? Well, Alistair got nil point, like you, sir. Alistair went for Zlata Ognievich, Gravity, Ukraine 2013. 
Anyway, we have reached the end of this week's episode. Thank you so much to everybody who has managed to get all the way through to the end, despite all of the random avenues we have found ourselves down today. We will, of course, be back next week with another episode of the Eurotrip. And next week, we will have another big guest for another big interview. Rob, do you fancy giving us a little bit of a clue as to who it is? Yeah, big guest, big interview, but tiny Mediterranean island. On the podcast next week, we are returning to Malta. That's right. If you want to find out early who it is, then don't forget to follow us on Twitter. We are at Eurotrip Podcast. We will announce who it is on Sunday. But in the meantime, don't forget to subscribe, leave us a review and rate us five stars. It really does help us do what we do here on the podcast. Hoody ho, yes, that's right there. And from me, Sir Terry Wogan, I thought I'd get in there before Rob and James say goodbye. A good boy. And from me, James, goodbye. And honestly, how come I've ended up last? From me, Rob, goodbye. I'll leave it there. If, you, if you're happy to be left on, sure. on, on, the, on the bully mantelpiece. Whatever that means. Bully <laughs> <laughs> mantelpiece. <laughs>